This is the EWN Podcast Network. Welcome to Late Boomers, our podcast guide to creating your third act with style, power, and impact. Hi, I'm Kathy Worthington. And I'm Mary Elkins. Join us as we bring you conversations with successful entrepreneurs, entertainers, and people with vision who are making a difference in the world. Everyone has a story, and we'll take you along for the ride on each interview, recounting the journey our guests have taken to get where they are, inspiring you to create your own path to success. Let's get started. Hello, I'm Kathy Worthington. Welcome to Late Boomers. Today we have as our special guest, Lisa Crosta, who is a certified financial planner and director of wealth management at BPP Wealth Solutions, an all-female investment firm. She's also a certified public accountant. And I'm Mary Elkins. Having gone through a divorce and raising three kids on her own, Lisa's mission is to help other wish women who find themselves in tough situations and empower them to make important financial decisions and better understand their financial picture so they can achieve their dreams. Also, in her spare time, Lisa balances her work and leisure by renovating homes, skiing, playing pickleball, cooking, and spending time with her son and two daughters. Welcome, Lisa. Hello. Nice to see you ladies today. You too. Please tell us, Lisa, about your background and how your experience led you to the career and the personal paths that you are on on today. Yeah. I um, went to college as a business major. Seemed logical. I liked math. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And um, kind of always had a dream of having my own business. And after I left college, I worked for a couple of years trying to figure out what to do. And I, I had a vision to work with individuals rather than to work in a big company. I, I always felt like I would be a cog in a wheel in a big company. I know it's great for certain people, but it wasn't what I wanted. So I was trying to figure out how to do that. So I went to graduate school and took the classes that I needed to take to get my CPA. Because mm-hmm. to take the CPA, you need a certain amount of classes. And although I went to business school for college, I didn't have all those classes. So I got my MBA in accounting, took my CPA with the goal of how can I use this to work with people. <laughs> um, ended up going to a big firm to Ernst & Young, because I just couldn't turn down. It was a great opportunity, but got myself quickly into tax and then financial planning departments. So was able to, you know, manage to get start starting, you know, a long time ago, working with individuals. And I really liked it. And it was, it's a great, tax is a great background when you end up as a financial planner too, because just uh-huh. it's good knowledge to have. And so I was there for about eight years. And then I left to have my kids. I had my first daughter and I worked part-time for a little bit. And then having a second, I just decided it was too much in the public accounting world. So I stayed home for about 10 years with my three kids. So I have a daughter and two sons. And um, when I got divorced, it was not really planned. You don't really plan these things. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I was like, I had been doing a few side gigs, but nothing that was substantial. And I was like, I got to get back. I got to figure this out. So I was like, well, I have my CPA. I always kept the license. Um, and in an inactive state, as I call it, but kept it. So how can I get back into the field of planning? So I ended up getting a job. And I, I like to tell the story because I, I guess women don't do this very much. They were looking for somebody with a certified financial planner license, um, a Series 7, which is one of the securities licenses, and a life and health insurance license. And I didn't have any of them. 
And I got the interview and I talked my way into the job. Um, I had my mm-hmm. CPA, which is, you know, a good thing. And I said, I'll get all of them. Just give me a year. Give me, I'll, I'll do it quickly. And so they were great. They hired mm-hmm. me and I got all my licenses. I think it took a year and a half to get all of them. Um, and my seven, my 66, my life, my health, my CFP. And, you know, was off to the races for the small financial planning department in this larger firm with about 50 advisors. Um, so it was great. great. And I, so I worked with so many different personalities, you know, different advisors have different types of clients and, you know, everybody mm-hmm. from, we used to collect expenses from clients you know, when we do a financial plan. And sometimes I wasn't sure if the number was an annual number or a monthly number. I mean, <laughs> everybody is so different, uh-huh, that's <laughs> um, weird. but it was phenomenal experience. Um, but then after about five years, I moved to the firm I'm at now because I wanted to try to have some ownership and own my clients more and just be more personally involved in running the business. So we're at a small registered investment advisor. That's what our firms are called, um, mm-hmm. where we have, you know, we work one-on-one with clients, you know, every day. It's, you know, what we do all day and we do planning. So we, I always say we lead with planning. You know, a lot of people will call themselves investment advisors, financial advisors. You know, we're all those things, but we lead with planning, which means that before we can tell you what to do with your investments or if you need insurance or estate planning documents, we have to put all your stuff together in a financial plan. And what that means is we look at all your income sources, all your expenses, all your assets, and all your liabilities. So what you own, what you owe, what you make, and what you spend, <laughs> in other words. Mm-hmm. And you know, put it all together because without that, it's kind of confusing. You can't tell if you're on track for what you want to do if you don't know where you are. So sometimes it's a little scary for people to do that. And I was on a call with a prospect today, and you know, she was like, I know I have to get my head out of the sand and look at these numbers. And she is actually someone who's about to get divorced. So it's, she has to do it, but you know, she's mm-hmm. afraid to do it, but this is where we, you know, we help our clients hold their hands, get them through it and be like, look, this, this is where you are. If you want to get here, this is what you need to do. Or, or you're in great shape, you know, whatever it is they're trying to achieve. And, and everybody is completely different. Yeah. Um, right. And it's so, a step that a lot of people don't take that planning step. Tough step. I ran so into really... someone today at a women's event that I talked to about six months ago. And I said to her, I, I don't want to bother you, but I'm just curious why you never moved forward. She said, no reason. She just, she couldn't get her to herself to do it. Like it wasn't the fee. It wasn't that she went with anybody else. It was just, I, I have to get my act together. So it's hard. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Psychologically. Well, you're, you were, you're, you're talking about this woman about to get a divorce and obviously you went through it and you had to restructure everything, I'm sure. So talk about the importance of restructuring your own and family finances in the wake of divorce or even other life-changing situations. Yeah. I mean, it's hard. It's, you know, you have to, the the thing that is most important is that cash flow. So every month, you know, where are you? I, I could not survive, you know, without a job. So I knew very quickly I was going back to work and I started with a smaller job, you know, before I moved on to a full-time job. But I, if you get an idea and we do this with clients, what do you need to make? What do you need to make if you get, and you know, we have clients on both sides. This client today was going to have to pay alimony. So once she pays her alimony, what's left for her? And is that adding, and her goal was retirement primarily. Is that adding enough to your retirement to get you where you want to do to be? You know, it's, it's also really good when you're going into a divorce to know what you can afford to pay or what you should be asking for. There's the guidelines that the court set, but you want to know your own situation because the minimums are pretty low um, from what, you know, from what I've seen, every state's a little bit different, but, you know, we've had women who had to pay and they really want to know, 
if this is what the court says, is it going to work? And they can call us and be like, this is the number. They play around. Okay, this number works, but you have to work three years longer. Or, you know, this number works, but you got to ask for a raise. You know, everybody's so different, but it's when you can see what's coming in and out and look at it on a monthly basis, because most people look monthly, not, you know, annually, you can really make some good decisions. If you have Mm -hmm. to give your assets, you know, because of a divorce, it's okay. These assets are gone. We literally move them out of the plan. Your new assets, you know, this is how long it's going to take to replenish or for whatever you're trying to achieve. There's often a house to sell, you know, with a lot of divorces. Mm-hmm. And can you buy out your spouse? Like we can run those numbers. You buy the spouse out. This is the interest rate you get. This is what's going to cost you. Okay. It doesn't work or it does work. And if it doesn't work, what does work? Can you find a house with the money you're going to sell for? You know, we'll put the taxes in there, do all the calculations of a sale transaction. Say, okay, this is what you're going to be left with. We want to get you to a mortgage that you can afford. And, and you know, we can do all the calculations and figure out what they're comfortable with, what, what they can afford to do. And that's something you, you do for do with them oh, or yeah. for them? Oh, that's yeah. Great. I mean, once we get the plan built, we can ask any question. You know, once we get the basic information in there, all those things, income, expenses, are you assets, finding that Are you finding that more and more women have to pay alimony? Because that's not the standard thing you hear about. You know, it's not. Is that but happening? This is the third... This is the second woman in two years that had to pay. The other woman had to pay child support. So we've had a few good business women. <laughs> they have good businesses. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I also had a woman that was about, I think she was maybe her late fifties. Her youngest had just, was just finishing college and she didn't, she wasn't sure if she could get alimony, but she didn't want it. She knew there was a good amount of assets. She wanted half the assets. She said, if I get half the assets, can you show me what I need to do? So that's what we did. We put half his assets in her plan. He was selling half, he was selling the house and giving, actually he was just giving her half the value of the house. We put that in and then we put her salary in. She was working part-time and I said, okay, you can do this, but you got to go full-time. You have to now make, I'm making this up, a hundred thousand a year instead of 70,000 a year. She's like, I can do that. They want me to do it. I'm like, well, if you do that and these are your expenses, your kids are done with college. You're not supporting them you can do this, you know? So she did not want to fight for alimony. She knew it would be a battle. She was already 60. So we showed her mm-hmm. how, and she, we showed her how to work, you know, it was yeah. her decision what she wanted. So we just showed her how the numbers worked. Well, what about those women who really had their men take care of them? It's, it's, it's yeah. old school, but what about yeah. those women who don't even know how to write a check, which nobody's doing anymore, but but what about them? I mean, how do you no. advise them? Because they don't have a clue about their financial situation. You know, again, we start with what they own and we have to get people to give me statements because I can't tell you how many times somebody says to me, well, I have an IRA or I have a this, and that's not what it is. I get it. And it's an inherited IRA or it's a 401k or it's just a regular brokerage account. And it kind of doesn't mean anything to them, but it means a lot to us. They're all taxed differently. You know, is it a Roth? Is it a SEP? They all have different rules. So my first thing is you guys got to get the statements. And if if you're, I did a seminar last summer for women and it was titled, not very catchy, but what every woman needs to know for their financial and legal security. And I did it with a divorce attorney. Mm -hmm. One of the big things we did was talk about the titling of accounts. And and if you do think you're going to get divorced, get those, get those statements now. Like, don't wait if, even if there's, cause it could be smooth, but it might not get those statements. Yes. Yeah, some you know, people are probably locked out of those statements because they don't have the passwords. Mm. Well, you know, 401ks are supposed to come in the mail once a year. Mm. They changed, they, they made a rule for that because people were losing them all the time. 
Um, uh-huh. But a lot of, you know, if there's any joint accounts, you should be able to get access to it. You, you may not be able to get access to a spouse's 401k, but it's nice to look. I, I did two things in that seminar. One, we talked about looking through statements, anything that comes in the mail. But we talked about the importance of a tax return. Outside of retirement accounts, you could find everything from a tax return. If you get dividends or interest from any accounts, that account is listed on your tax return. So we talked about how to read certain aspects of the tax return and use them to figure out what you have. And this is, of course, if a divorce is not friendly. Sometimes, you know, they're easy. They're not They're not all where someone's trying to hide assets, but you must get your tax return. And you are entitled to that if it's a joint tax return. Nobody can with, and you can also get it from the IRS if you need to. Mm-hmm. But your tax return is a treasure trove of information mm-hmm. um, from where your money is to what income's coming in. Um, so that's, I actually did like a 20 minute segment in the workshop about what to read on a tax return. Like what's important. Oh, that's great. Um, yeah. Because the stats for women that are, you know, there's so many women, we end up alone, right? Men die first, there's gray divorce and there's less marriage. So you got at one point, yeah. learn how to read stuff and yeah. Mm-hmm. And we, we make education a big part of what we do. We have one of our older clients in her eighties coming in next week without her husband just to go over again. This is where your accounts are. This is how they're titled. This is what happens when you pass. Like we have everything laid out to just go over with her again. You know, husband. Oh, good. Because I wanted to ask about the, what the importance is of having a financial plan and at what age one needs to begin investing for the future. First, you should begin investing. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say the day you get your first job. Oh, you know, okay. The day you get, I mean, it's hard to invest when you're not working, right? So the day you get your first job, I would say, like my uh-huh. kids know the day they have their first job, they have to start investing. Um, really? Uh-huh. I mean, it's the value of time is incredible. Incredible. Right. And I actually, my one college age son already opened his Roth IRA. He had some extra money from graduation money and he put $1,000 in his Roth IRA. I was like, yes. Good. <laughs> well, he's following in your footsteps he's yeah was listening to what he's hearing around the house that's yeah we talk a lot about money around here (laughs) i bet you do so that's all part of a financial plan but but what is the importance of having this financial plan for most people so you know it's twofold so when you're in the earlier stages of accumulation so you're still working right it's giving you clarity on where you are and if you're on track to do what you want to do and i don't know what that is that could be retire at 80 it could be retire at 60. It could be buy a second home. It could be save enough money to pay for my all my kids' first homes. I, I don't know. You know, the, the goals are all over the place, but what do you have now and can you achieve those goals? And if you can't, mm-hmm. let's help you figure out how to do it. And and obvi- for most people, retirement is a big question. What's that going to look like when we flip the switch from saving, you know, to spending? So the plan will start giving you clarity of where you are on track to meet your goals and if not, how you can get there. And the goals are going to change. We try not to, we almost never do a one and done plan. You know, we do it the first year, but we got to keep going. Like I I can't make decisions for you five years out. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. So we're doing it every year. We're tweaking it. How did the investments perform? How did you get a raise at work? Did you change jobs? Did you, you, in the old days, did you refinance a mortgage? All those things are getting modified each year and we're still tracking where you, you know, where you are. Um, Then when you retire, it's very helpful to have a planner because now how do you decide how to take your money out of those investment accounts? You know, it's, do you just take rent? Like, are you taking too much? Should you take them from this sleeve and not that sleeve? You know, we have different strategies, mm. different buckets, if you will. So we help a lot on the 
the stage when you're now retired and you have to take money out. I'd say that's where we probably earn more of our money. <laughs> we have more work to do. Yeah. Because yeah. you got to be smart about it. Yeah. Well, things then, right. go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to ask you what a, a security income plan was. And also you're talking about aligning your plans with your goals. So yeah. can you give us some more pointers on that you might give to your clients and or questions they need to ask themselves for both our audience and us? Yeah. So I'll tell you. So mm-hmm. a security income plan is what we call our financial plan. So we use a very mm-hmm. robust software, but our security income plan follows our name. So the BPP stands for build, protect, and preserve. So building is the whole investment side of it. You know, are the investments in the right place? How are they doing? Watching them? Are they, are they in the right accounts? The P is protecting. You know, do you have the right insurance? Is it going to last for what you want it for? Are the beneficiaries correct? And the P is preserve. You know, do you have a will, a healthcare proxy, power of attorney? Do you need a trust? You know, does your state have estate taxes? In 2026, there's going to be huge changes to the estate tax laws. You know, so there's a lot of planning to do. So that's it's kind of like a continuous circle. We're always building, protecting, preserving, you know, whenever we talk to our clients. I mean, one call may have a focus, but we're that's the process that we always work on. What's going so to happen was, with the tax laws? I'm sorry to interrupt you. Don't lose the thought, but I'm no. curious. Well, in 2025, all the tax law that went into effect in 2017 is going to sunset, they call it. So when they design the law, it ends at the end of 2025. So all the tax brackets are going to change. All the estate tax is going to change from we're at about 13 million a person now back in half. It'll go back to the old number with inflation. So I don't know it exactly, but it's about cut in half. The the standard deductions are going to change everything. I mean, there are so many changes in 2017. And they've already laid out what the changes are going to change to. The law was set that every most everything in the law was sunsetting. Not not every single. Yeah. I don't know how many page document, but many, many items to balance the budget. They set them to sunset. So disappear. So that means if Congress doesn't agree to change it, they go away. They go back to the old stuff. Oh. So the estate planning attorneys are, are you know, they're going to have a year of full employment. Um, we don't know what's going to happen because Congress could act, right? <laughs> Maybe but, by then. I, you know, who knows? Same. I mean, they, they can't agree on anything. So I don't they're, know. What to, you know, we don't know. So we're talking to our clients a lot about the biggest piece is the estate planning. You could, as a couple, you used to you could have 26 million and it's going to be cut roughly in half after that. Wow. Before you pay estate tax federally. Huge numbers. That's mm-hmm. really different. Yeah. That's different. drastic. Yeah. It's pretty yeah. different. Um, well, maybe we'll see something happen in the Congress then to fix I know, that. You will see. Or now that I mentioned it, you'll that. start seeing articles about maybe. it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We'll notice yeah. it now. So, talk, yeah. so you're talking about preserving, that would be for estate planning or? Really preserving elaborate. the wealth for generations, you know, whatever you want to do, if, you know, preserving it for a charity, for your kids, for the name, whoever you want the money for, mm. but making sure it goes where you want it to go. You know, there's those famous stories of, you know, who died with their, their will, their handwritten will they found in a, in a sofa. Was that um, somebody oh. famous? Like a Michael singer. Jackson? <laughs> Michael Jackson didn't have one. Prince didn't have one. Um, you know, all these people and it's nice to be able to know where your money's going to go and all you worked hard for. I would think you'd want to be able to set that up while you're alive and you can do that. Can't do Mm -hmm. it when you're dead. Yeah. And would you tell us also what is female communication in finance? And on a slightly different note, how did you do it all as a single mom? 
I have a lot of energy. I think that's two different questions, but so what is what was the first one? What is female female communication and finance? I find that I mean, how is that different? I yeah, it's so interesting because a lot of times when we do a plan, it's the woman who calls first. They like understanding. We like understanding. We like talking about it getting a feel for it. It's not just numbers on an envelope to us. And I hate to generalize mm-hmm. Yes, I am a numbers person, but I find that the women enjoy talking about it more, not being stigmatized by whatever the heck they're doing or spending and being able to ask questions without being judged. Like what's, you know, people be like, I'm really, this is a really dumb question. What's the difference between a SEP and a traditional IRA? I'm like, why is that a dumb question? <laughs> not you know, a I, dumb I am, question. Yeah. Not at all. Yeah. yeah. Right. I have, I have this great couple, they're doctors and they, in the beginning, she would say that. I'm like, listen, I don't know how to operate on somebody. I don't know how to diagnose anything. You shouldn't know what I do. Like we have different expertise. It's okay. Yeah. But letting people know it's okay to ask questions. I think that's the biggest thing we try to get across to our clients and mostly the women because they haven't been heard maybe in other, other financial relationships. Yeah. And before you you answer the other question, Kathy was interested in knowing about, um, Tell, tell our audience the difference. The difference between, between the IRA and, and set. Oh, yeah. oh. well, when you, when you save money, you know, everybody can, not everybody, you can put money into an IRA. It's, it can be pre-tax dollars. It depends on your income, depends on a lot of factors. But a SEP IRA is a self-employment account. And it allows someone who has a, their own business, a self-employed person, to put away a much higher amount than a traditional IRA. And it's based on how much income, net income, the business makes. And it's a calculation that we're not going to get into it, but it's a different calculation that allows you to put money in a, as a SEP IRA than a traditional IRA. And it's much more the SEP if it's a profitable business. Mm, it's a great you. tool for self-employed people. Yeah, absolutely. Ah. And, and uh, answer the other question, please. How did, how did About, you do it all? As a single mom. I don't know. I, I'd say my superpowers. I have a lot of energy. I don't know. My kids are good. Um, I, I don't know. I don't micromanage them. I like, you know, the, I don't know if you guys know this, but you know, the, all the schools have portals that you can get on and look at all your, I don't do that. I don't get on and look at my kids. I don't make sure their homework's done. They knew they had to do it. I'd say, is your homework done? But I, I you know, I didn't micromanage. I didn't review their tests with them. Unless they wanted me to, but <laughs> I also think that watching me take all those exams and going back to work seeped in. You know, I was on the lacrosse field watching my kids play lacrosse, studying for my CFP. You know, I was, we were moving house when I was studying. Like I was up late at night, I'm working. And I think the work ethic rubbed off on them. I think they saw it. You know, and, mm-hmm. and COVID, I, I worked so much during COVID. I also took a test during COVID, which was silly. So people are watching Netflix shows and I'm studying and working and they saw it. So I think that, I don't know, I think that helped a lot. Having kids that knew what they were supposed to do and did it. Um, and I don't know, I have a lot of energy. I don't, I don't get too tired and I have a pretty <laughs> optimistic attitude. It's going to get done. I'm a mad list writer. Oh to yeah. Me, it's the key to success is writing lists. Oh good. Well, I, I write, write lists all the time. I'm glad that's the key to success. I, have a, to I have a question that I ask <laughs> when I recruit, when I interview people, you know, younger people were hiring. I always ask them what they do at the end of the day. And if they say they write a list before they leave, I'm like, yes. Because to me, before you leave, you want to organize your brain, but you don't want to take it home. So I write a list for the next day or the week, whatever it may be. But 
leaving the day with that, especially on Fridays. So I kind of shut down on Fridays, writing that list. I'm like, okay, I know when I come back, I'll remember because it's written down, but I can go into my weekend and enjoy myself. I, I just think that's huge. And, and I don't procrastinate. Ah, that's good. That's a good one. No procrastination. Mean, that can be done now. Do it. Yeah. So, so, so. Do, you get, do you get the hardest uh, tasks first or last? I'm not one of those people who have that hard set rule. I know there's some people who are like, do the shortest ones first. I don't. I just, just do it. You know, if I walk downstairs and I see something that I need to do, I try to just do it. Whether it's, you know, putting the shoes away or switching the wash rather than waiting three hours to do it. Just do it. It's yeah. easier, I think. Oh, mm, yeah. Good advice. Yeah. So, good advice. Um, oh, sorry, Kathy. Yeah. No, go ahead. Great advice. So we are in kind of a volatile market these days. So what do you tell your clients on how to manage their finances during these types of markets, which don't look yeah. like they're going to stop? Yeah. Well, we do not invest for the short term. You know, we are, you'll never call us and hear us say, you know, invest with us because we have the best returns, the latest, hottest thing. We are into long-term, very diversified investing. We partner with portfolio managers that are professionals that pick stocks or ETFs, depending on what portfolio you're in. And it's very much buy and hold. I mean, we let the managers make trades inside the portfolio. So say there's 30 stocks in this one portfolio, they'll make trades. But we don't call our clients every time a trade is made. We don't call them with the latest, hottest stock tip. We're investing for the long term. And I find when you lead with the financial plan and you can see what you want, it's okay if the market goes like this because the, you know what you have to do. And the plan itself, the literal software that we use is live. It's connected. So if you call me and say, oh my God, 2022, right? Terrible year. Mid-year and go, the market is so down. How do I look? I open up the plan. I'm like, well, in 20 years, you're going to have 50,000 less than we projected last week. Like it's, you know, small, small movements when you're going and, you know, going out 20 years. So having the plan, it's amazing how people don't stress out. We got so few calls in 2022. Nobody pulled out their money. You know, a few tweaks. We tweaked some things between bonds and stocks, but we didn't have any panicked phone calls because they know what their plan looks like. Mm -hmm. Is the 4% rate still holding per drawing income for those people who are drawing income or is it completely kaput? Now, so um, Michael Kitsis, who's famous in my field of work, you know, he's phenomenal. And he does a, he has a paper and there's other people on the paper besides him. I think it's Wade Fowl, but I'm not sure. He has a paper on the sequence of risk returns and safe withdrawal rates. And it's fabulous. I heard him just speak at a conference, but you know, he goes back historically to which rates worked over time. And, it, you know, his studies, his um, paper, four and 5% still work. You know, six can even work, but it doesn't have to be three. You know, I, I say to clients, four and five looks fine. Um, and, you know, we're going to tweak it too. You have good years, you can take a little bit more. You have bad years, you're maybe going to take less. It's if you can build a diversified portfolio where you have some fixed income, you maybe have some social security, you have all these different pieces, um, you can weather the storms better. And I also think it's really, not think, it is very important those initial years. So those first years of retirement, if those are down years and you don't have a ton, you have it just worked out nicely, those are down years. You, you have to be able to pull back a little bit because if you withdraw and there's like two or three down years, which has only really happened in history a couple of times, um, early, early on, 
it really affects your success rate. Mm. So it's and, and just to clarify, because yeah. I know what you and Mary are talking about, and I know what Mary asked when she asked the question, but I think yeah. some of our listeners may not understand what you're talking yeah. about. 4%, 5% of what? So of your why? total portfolio assets, how much yeah, can you this take is out when, each year? And this is what people want to take out yep. to, to live on. To live on. So if you take yeah. out 4% a year, according to Kitz's research, it's a very safe figure. 5% works. I, th I think 5% worked in every single, he would do, I think he did 20 year increments. Um, but yes, it's, it's how much you can take of your portfolio out each year. And, and that not would run out of money. very much depend on your age, wouldn't it? Yeah. Depends on your age, depends on how many assets you have when you retire, right? Yeah. It's, but those first years, that's the crucial thing. And when the clients want to retire early, it's the only thing I point out to them. I said, the only risk in your portfolio is if, if someone's making a substantial income, they retire early and say they're making 300,000 a year and they've given up a million, say they three years early, a million bucks. They said, just, we have, you have to be aware that if we have an incredibly terrible market, you may need to rethink some of your spending. Mm -hmm. This is for somebody whose plan works, you know, really nicely with like four or 5% and they don't have any cushion. But, you know, once you get past those first, and even his research shows it, once you get past those first few years, you got some good returns on your big pot of money, right? Because you're in the beginning of retirement. If the bad returns come later, it doesn't matter because your portfolio is so much smaller. It's just really important in those early years. And I've had clients, I have one client I remember specifically that they spend a ton of money. He had a great job and he wanted to retire early. And I said to him, you know, you can, but you work one or two more years, you're going to be so set. And he's like, I, I, I'm going to do it. He said, I'd rather, I don't hate my job. I'd rather put in a couple more years and get really comfortable than, 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 you know, push it. So that's good. Good advice. And I was going to ask you to talk about a little bit more estate and retirement planning. Um, what's your advice for people looking to retire in the next five or 10 years? Well, save as much as you can. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, unless you're set, you know, you got a few million in the bank, you know, unless you're set, but save, I mean, it's, it's just it, the power of time and compounding is tremendous. Mm -hmm. And if you haven't saved enough for like, you know, I lost a lot of years from not working. So I'm trying to play catch up. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, you have to put the money aside and there's no better way than saving with every paycheck. So if you don't have access to a 401k or a 403b at work, you should every month pay yourself, you know, from your bank account to your savings account or to wherever it's going. How, how mm -hmm. much would you say they should take out and save of their salary? You know, it depends if they're playing cash. I mean, if they're just doing their, you know, the most you can put in a 401k last year was 20,500. I, I don't remember the number off the top of my head. If you're under 50 and then it's a little bit higher. Mm -hmm. If you're over 50. So we always try to get people to max out. And that's always our goal. But if you're saving 20%, that's a phenomenal rate. Not most people don't do that, but that's a good number. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's a really good number. But if, and I Probably say to people, if you're at 10, bump mm -hmm. it up to 12 because you'll barely notice it because you're going to save taxes on that extra 2% you put in. So maybe it's only going to feel like 11%. Like, so, and if you can do it slowly, it's easier and you don't feel it as much. Yeah, like your That's son great. investing his first thousand dollars. That's going <laughs> to com compound. How old is your That's son? Compound. He's nineteen. <laughs> oh, good for That's him. Gonna compound very nicely. <laughs> I know, I know. But it's yeah. funny he put it in. He put it in at the end of twenty twenty one, so it went straight down first. I was like, he's like, I don't care. I'm like, you're fine. You've got a lot of years left. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, but, yeah. But how do you manage clients' finances differently when they're in retirement versus when they were younger? Yeah, I mean, we may have we may tweak the allocation a little bit between stocks and bonds, and and you know, certain oh. asset classes are more aggressive, like a small cap, small company portfolio is a little more aggressive than an S and P than the big big companies. Just, I mean, just by nature, right? A huge company is a little more stable than a small startup. So we may have more of the big companies, more of the dividend paying companies in a portfolio for somebody who's in retirement because you want to generate a little more income. And we may have a little more bonds. So we may tweak the allocation to be Mm -hmm. a little bit more fixed income. But it's, you know, there was a time where people were, they used to say, you take your age, was your age, a hundred minus your age, and that should be your balance between fixed income and, and equity. And it's kind of an old adage because you don't live in retirement for one year. You know, people are living in retirement for 25 years. So it's mm-hmm. not like you retire and flip the whole portfolio to conservative because you have to make mm-hmm. it last. So it's a balancing act, right? How much do they have? How much are they spending? But we do start to get a little more conservative as we're taking money out. And we'll selectively take, you know, a certain amount from fixed income, a certain amount maybe from the dividends. And then do some rebalancing if they have some more aggressive stocks that did well, we'll pull some money out of that, like take some gains out. And so we kind of tweak it a lot. But we, we we also do frequently, not always, but we will put all the cash for one year. We'll pull it out and put it in a cash account. So for 12 months, their cash is there. And then mm-hmm. we replenish over the course of the year. So if there is a bad few months, we're not pulling money out, you know, mm-hmm. or a bad year. We've got it set. So we use mm-hmm. that approach too. Good. That's interesting. Do you, do you use algorithms at all or do you basically do this? Uh, you don't. No. So remember, we have portfolio and we have the CFAs building our portfolios. So they, and that is a full-time job picking stocks. I, I do not proclaim to do that. I, I don't have time to do that. I'm talking to clients all the time about their cash flows and their, you know, what house they're buying and, you know, what interest rates, whatever. I don't have time to pick a stock. They say it takes 40 hours a week to pick one stock. Ooh. So I, so a CFA is a chartered financial analyst. They've taken very rigorous tests. That's who that's who builds our portfolios. They study the cash flows of the companies. They talk to the management. They get on the analyst calls. That's their job. Mm-hmm. I, I will never pick my clients' portfolios. It's just it's too much work. You know, you want a specialist to do it, right? You know, you go to a dentist, a podiatrist, you know, a podiatrist. What are they called? Periodontist for the gums. You got to go to yeah. the specialist. Yeah, yeah, it's too time very true. Yeah. Can you share a few of the su- success stories you've had with clients uh, with us? So I, I, I laugh. There's there's a, there's three of these. I have three clients that, and then I'll give you a more specific one that after we did a plan, either quit their job and quit their job. <laughs> and they're all women. Two were single women, like in their 60s, and they didn't like their job. They had saved a ton of money. They didn't have children and they didn't want to work anymore, but they didn't know. So we came in, they did a plan, you know, we put in the most conservative estimates for returns. We put the high, like the highest expenses we could put in. And I'm like, there's no way you're going to run out of money. And both women left the meeting and called me like the next day and quit their job. Wow. <laughs> I cracked up because when they came in like three months later, I said to the woman, man, you have a hop in your step when you come in. <laughs> She's loving it. You know, it's what they wanted. It's not for everybody, but they, they knew they could do it. And then it allowed them to do it. Um, I have another female client that was a doctor that really disliked her job and was working her butt off and was able to cut back for a year and find a new job. But she was able to, she was comfortable with everything to be able to know she could do it. 
her husband was working, her kids were going to school and all that. But we showed how, okay, I'm going to take, I'm literally going to take your salary out for a year. Let's look what your plan looks like. And then let's put in a lower salary because say you get something you like, but it pays less. So let's put something in at this rate and look what your plan looked like. And she's like, okay, I can do it. I, and she did. And she found a job she loves, but she was able to quit and take her time to do it. Mm. Completely changed careers. She's still in medical, but she's just not at yeah. all on the same type of thing she was before, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the uh, founder of our company wrote a book called From Chaos to Joy, and she's got four yeah. good stories in there. Those are all women. Um, one is somebody whose husband died. One was a divorce. I don't remember all the stories, but they're they're all personal and really interesting stories. You no know, names changed and everything um, mm-hmm. of stories of women that we helped along the way. We help men too. <laughs> I was going to ask that. We do help men mm-hmm. and we have lots of men clients. And, um, you know, we have a few clients. We don't see pensions too much these days, but I have two clients that I'm working with. We're trying to figure out how to plan the pension because both have spouses and mm-hmm. both spouses are vastly different in age, like over 10 years. So do you take less for the spouse whose job it was so that the younger spouse gets more? You know, that's how it works. Most of them, you can give up some of yours so your spouse gets more or you can take more and your spouse gets less. And it gets tricky when the ages are that different. So we did a lot of calculations. Okay, you know, if you took the more and she died, you died, what's it going to look like? And should we buy insurance to replace that? And it's a it's a decision. Mm-hmm. There's, there, there's, a, there's a term for it, pension. I forget the name of it. When you use insurance to replace pensions. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it made a lot of sense. Sometimes the client's too old and the insurance is too expensive. So we showed them the numbers all different ways. This is with 100% to your spouse. This is with 75. This is with 50. This is if you die here and there. And you know, we don't have a crystal ball, but we can yeah. make really good decisions and play with the numbers and help them decide what to do with the pensions because those are permanent decisions. You leave your job, you got to decide what you're taking. Mm, um, that's interesting. And they're great yeah. problems to have because not too many people have pensions. So it's kind of really nice to do with them. Yeah. yeah. Great. Lisa, what would you like our audience to have as a takeaway today? <laughs> don't be afraid to look at your finances and don't be afraid to ask questions. And clarity gives you so much comfort and ease. So it's good. It's good for everyone to do. And it's, it's you know, and I also say to people, we have advisors for lots of things. We hire lawyers and we need them and tax accounts. It makes sense to have a financial advisor. The world's complicated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank so you. True. That's great. Thank you so much, Lisa. I'm sure Thank there's you, more we can all learn from you in Always. the future and and to, to actually think time to go and check out our finances and save. So yeah. thank you so much. Our guest today on Late Boomers has been Lisa Crosta, Certified Financial Planner and Director of Wealth Management at BPP Wealth Solutions CPA and the CPA. Um, you can reach Lisa at LinkedIn and on the BPP website, which is basically, uh, can you tell us what BPP stands for again? Build, protect, and preserve. Dot com. The website is BPP Wealth. BPP Wealth is the website. BPPWealth.com. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, ladies. And we so much appreciate our listeners. And we ask all of you listeners to please subscribe to our YouTube channel, Late Boomers Podcast, and also subscribe on the platform where you listen to your podcasts. We love your support. Don't forget to give us a five-star review. And we <laughs> always like to hear from you, either on Instagram, at I am Kathy Worthington, and at I am Mary Elkinson, at Late Boomers, 
or on our website, lateboomers.biz, B-I-Z. Our goal is always to inspire and energize you. Thanks again, Lisa. Thanks, ladies. Thank you for joining us on Late Boomers, the podcast that is your guide to creating a third act with style, power, and impact. Please visit our website and get in touch with us at lateboomers.biz. If you would like to listen to or download other episodes of Late Boomers, go to ewnpodcastnetwork.com. This podcast is also available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and most other major podcast sites. We hope you make use of the wisdom you've gained here and that you enjoy a successful third act with your own style, power, and impact.